Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. I said, good morning, church. Let's go to our God in prayer, amen. Uh, Father, uh, thank you God so much, Father, for being able to worship you, Father. Uh, the fact that we're able to be able to, to be able to sing to you, Father. The fact we have voices that we're able to worship you, God. Uh, who are we, Father God, to come before your throne, Father? Uh, we don't deserve, Father God, uh, salvation, Father. Uh, we deserve, Father God, the fire pits of hell, Father God, for what we've done. Uh, but I'm just so grateful, Father God, that we're able to be part of a family, Father God. Uh, a family of all nations, Father. Uh, a family where we may have our differences, Father God, but love is patient, Father. I'm so grateful that you're patient, Father, with us, uh, despite the fact that we may sin against one another, Father God, we saw in Matthew 26 how quick you were to forgive your brother Judas, Father God. Just really seeing how powerful it was, like despite the fact you're like, hey, I see him as my friend, my brother, like despite the fact he's sinning against me right now, I forgive you in the moment. I'm so grateful, Father God, for your quick forgiveness, Father God, otherwise we wouldn't even know what love is, Father God. We wouldn't even know what unconditional love, Father God, what, what it is, Father God, if it wasn't for you. We, we, we live in a generation that expects unconditional love on a condition that you love me unconditionally, Father God. I'm just so grateful, Father God, that you love us unconditionally, Father God. Thank you, God, so much for loving us first so we understand what true love is, Father. I'm so grateful for your son, what he did for us on the cross. Thank you, God, so much, Father God, for using Harriet to be able to redirect our eyes to the cross, Father God. Uh, thank you using, uh, using Cain, Father God, to really, to really just call us back to, to, to really having a joy of giving every week, Father God, despite the fact that even the Discipleship may feel repetitive. It may feel boring at some points, Father God, but we understand, Father God, that this is, there's no such thing. There's no other thing worth doing than there is worshiping you. Uh, thank you, God, Father God, so much for this time. I pray, Father God, please speak through me, Father. Um, I, I don't feel worthy to preach your word, Father God, but I just really pray, Father. Uh, please uh, use me, pull me aside, Father God, preach the word through me, Father God. What's not of you, take it out. What is, keep it in. We love you, praise all your name. Amen. Amen. All right, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Yo, now I want to welcome the guests who are visiting for the first time. I've got, of course, uh, one of my uh, best friends who's, who's of, of course, become more my best friend uh, the more we get closer to his day of becoming a disciple of there, Elijah in the front row right there. He should be your brother this week, amen? Right? And so I just want, of course, want to welcome new faces, some old faces. I hope they're not grumpy faces because I know that you guys are hearing me every week. Uh, but I hope you're not getting bored of the word of God, amen? Right, and so Luke chapter two. You know, as a church, we're studying the we're studying the book of Luke. Yeah. I hope you're studying it with your time with your times with God. Amen. Yeah. And so last week, what do we see? We saw the parallel of Zechariah and the, of course Zechariah the prophet and Mary. How both were promised a child from God, where Zechariah had John the Baptist, and of course Mary had Jesus. Right, both seemingly seemed impossible. Right, in their circumstances, one right of, was which of barrenness and old age. The other one was a virgin, right? And so you see both of these seemingly impossible circumstances required faith. Yet what separated them was faith. Because you saw Zechariah doubted, whereas Mary had faith. Why? Zechariah said, how can this be? Whereas Mary said, how will this be? Will, it's guaranteed. She was like, I have the faith that this will happen, but just how it's going to be executed, I'm not sure, but I, I, I'm going to trust it will, right? And so what, what did Mary decide? Mary decided to have faith in a faithless situation. And so the Bible says in Mark 6, where there is no faith, miracles can't happen. So when there's no miracles in our lives, it's a faith issue. When your life comes to a stand, when our lives come to a standstill, it's a faith issue. It's all about faith, right? Faith is the very lifeblood of Christian life, right? It's the, it's the deciding factor whether we're worshiping the king or living in sin. It's an integral component of discipleship. We cannot please God without it. 
You know, faith comes from the Greek word pistis, right? Which means a substance that, it's basically a substance that oozes out of those who come under pressure but still try not. Right? Faith is the conviction that suppresses those that are all in and those who have a back door in their hearts. Faith, the division of those who persevere through hardship and those who give up at the sign of the first sign of difficulty. Faith, the power to look at, uh, look, look at hopeless situations and believe that Jesus is going to fix it. Faith, the strength to stay inspired when everyone is uninspired. Faith, the decision to stay encouraged in the midst of discouragement. You know, when we have faith, we can go into any given situation and not care what we see. But no, coming out of it, something is going to change. That as disciples, we are the catalysts of change. That when John the Baptist came to break the 400 years of silence, he was the catalyst of change. That when Jesus came as the promised Messiah, he was the catalyst of change. That we are the ones who bridge the gap. Like for example, we as disciples, we are the catalysts of change. Johnny, you are a catalyst of change. Wellington, you are a catalyst of change. Harriet, you are a catalyst of change. Christina, you are a catalyst of change. Fora, you are a catalyst of change. Leslie, you are a catalyst of change. Paula, you're a catalyst of change. Christine, you're a catalyst of change. Lynette, you're a catalyst of change. People, church, you are catalyst of change, amen? Do I have the sisters in the house? Do you believe that you guys are catalysts of change? Brothers, do you believe you're catalysts of change? Birmingham, do you believe you are catalysts of change? And that's the title of the summit today, Catalysts of Change. You are a catalyst of change. Point number one, catalysts of all nations. Luke chapter two, read from verse one. It says, in the days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So at this time, what do we see? We see this man called Caesar Augustus was in charge as political authority. There was a census that needed to be taken. You know, sometimes you need to take a census of your ministry, whether it's tanking or cranking. Sometimes you need to take a census of your life. What areas aren't growing? What areas have come to a standstill? Sometimes you have to take a census even of your mobile phone, where there may be a miracle on your phone waiting to happen. You know, and the census was decreed to take place in the entire Roman world. Verse 2. This was the first census that took place while Corinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. You know, at this particular time, what was, what was, what was really sad at the time was that women didn't count on the census. So when they took the census, only the men were counted. That before Jesus came as a catalyst of change, women literally didn't count. Like, they were basically, let's count everybody but the women. Women didn't count. You know, the Roman Empire had arguably 60 million slaves. But this is the thing. They were counted even above women. Women were considered lower than slaves. In addition to this, infanticide was very common. Meaning if a child was born and it had a defect, it was thrown out. That if a child was born, and even if it was a woman, and wasn't wanted, it was thrown out. 
that you could see dead babies outside the temple. Piles of dead babies. Imagine like you leaving Eastside and you see a pile of dead babies. That was something that was normal at that time. And there was even an archaeological letter by Hieropolis written to his pregnant wife. He was writing in response, telling, of course, after she sent the message that she was pregnant. He said to her, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it out. This is the world without God. When Jesus came into the world as a catalyst of change, it was a world full of slavery. It was a world full of gender bias, real gender bias. A world full of wickedness and evil and darkness beyond belief. You know, it's said that the normal person would not even live past the ages of 40, 50 years old. The smell of death and dead bodies was a normal thing back then. Not only that, of course, the cross, the people, dying, people dying on the cross was normal, right? And so it killed many, the cross killed many criminals, but these are some of the things that paint a picture of the world that Jesus was born into. Yet he is not the child that was thrown out because he, had def- because he didn't have, because of course he wasn't seen as having, having defects. But he's not the child that doesn't count. He is the catalyst of change. You know, Jesus had been thrown out of people's hearts and minds of the 21st century. He's got so, like, according to the 21st century, he's got so many defects. One being one church. That's a defect, because how can Jesus claim that there's one church? And then how come the the, the first century disciples and even modern day disciples say there's one church? People have an issue with that. People have an issue. Like, people find more reasons to take down Christ more than any other figure. Because, of course, it's trying trying to throw this, oh, Jesus is too strict. Or Jesus is, 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 is trying to call me back to the, these rules. It's not. It's to set you free. Because to them, that's a defect, Jesus. Yet Jesus is all-inclusive. He's like, everybody's welcome. Through the word of God, we know that Jesus has, to come, has come to save all nations. He is the catalyst of change. If you're a sister, aren't you fired up that you count? Jesus elevated women. He could have come into the world any other way. He could have just come walking into the scene like Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. Try and say, try and name your child that. But he could have just come walking into the scene. But Jesus didn't have to come in, into the world. He, couldn't, he didn't have to come into the world through birth. But he chose a woman. He's God. He could have come into the world anyway. Yet Jesus elevates women. He loves the sisters. Prior to Jesus, women were not elevated. They did not count. I'm fired up that the sisters count. And the brothers say? Amen. No, 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 no. I'm fired up that the sisters count. And the brothers say? Amen. Yeah, as disciples, we have an impact. Amen. Our lives count for something. Amen. You mean something. Amen. You matter. Amen. You count. Amen. And someone is counting on you. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Question is, why do you have to go to Bethlehem? Why do you have to go? We'll find out later, don't worry. Verse 5. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And the church says, Amen. the first thing that we notice in verse 7 is that Mary gave birth to a firstborn. A firstborn, of course, a son, amen. Firstborn. But what does this mean? This is the first of many. So when people say, I believe in perpetual virginity, that Mary was just, hey, I'm just, I'm just, I, she just got, gave birth to Jesus. No, Jesus had brothers. 
He had siblings. You see that? So when people teach that, it's totally inaccurate and unbiblical. The scripture states that she wrapped him up. Dare we say she was the first rapper in history? And the one ended up happening. She placed up this wrapped up baby, Jesus, and placed him in a really nice, high-end, golden basin, like the ones the Pharisees would dip their hands in to wash their hands, right? Because you know these Pharisees are so self-righteous. They're like, oh, I've been to the, you know, it's like modern days, I've been a disciple for so long. I'm so self-righteous. Look at me, look at me washing my hands. How holy art thou? No? No? Jesus wasn't even born in one of these basins. He wasn't. He was born in a manger. That's where animals are. So there were a few things that would evidence that he was born in a manger. I can only imagine what it smelled like. Like he was born in a manger. I can only imagine what the, 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 the manger would have had. Hey. Fleas. Dirt. Don't even let me talk about manure. But, but the smell and the stench. I, I, imagine that. This is how Jesus actually chose to, to, to come into the world. You know, you're like, he, could have, he has so many choices. So I'm, I'm going to go that way. He went to the hardest part. Isn't that humbling? Yeah. How, like, how, like all these false gods. He's the only God who came down from his throne mm-hmm. and came in the, 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 the most humbling way. Yeah. I don't know who was, whose ideal birth would be in a manger. Mm-hmm. It's not that bougie in modern day times. <laughs> but he was born in a manger. And as I said in verse 7, it states that there was no room for them, so they got put in a manger. So Jesus had to deal with being unfairly treated. But Jesus didn't believe that there was any virtue in victimization. That there was no benefits in choosing to be a victim, but rather choosing to be a victor. Again, at the outset, the scripture states that the Roman Empire took a census and that the entire Roman world would take it for the purpose of taxation and population. Right? And so they wanted to know how many people were there. Amen? Amen. And so, but the question is, why did Joseph have to go to Bethlehem specifically? Micah chapter 5. Let's go to Micah chapter 5. A book you totally study out all the time for your quiet times. All the time. Simple to find. Simple to find. Micah chapter 5. You know, it's very beneficial to know the Old Testament because the Old Testament is full of minor prophets with major messages. Hope you guys are with me in Micah chapter 5 in verse 1. Come on. It says, marshal your troops now. City of troops. Sometimes that's what we need to do for our Bible talk. Let's marshal the troops. Let's go march in the streets. Let's call them together. And it goes on to say, for a siege is laid against us. You ask, what is a siege? A siege is when enemies encamp around you and wait for you to come outside the city. They lay siege to a city. It doesn't mean they attack it. They wait for the city to starve and then attack you when you're starved. You know, I believe there is a siege around Europe. Europe is under siege. Waiting and starving of you of the gospel. Waiting and starving of you of the one true God. Starving you of true purpose and feeding you the wrong thing. It continues on in verse 1. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she is in labor, bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. And the church says, Amen. this is talking about Jesus. Amen. That Joseph has to go to Bethlehem for fulfillment because the Messiah was prophesied in Micah to be born in Bethlehem. You know, God is smart and so powerful. Why? Because God worked through the most powerful man at that time in the book of Luke called Caesar Augustus, where he had to issue a decree that the entire Roman world would have to go back to their hometown to register. And yes, they're doing the registration, but Joseph had to go to his town. He went from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, back to Bethlehem, the town of David. And so what we see here is that God used a world event for a kingdom event. The events happening in the world, like current events are kingdom events. That this current event was actually for the kingdom. As the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So everything that happens in the world, any event is for the church. Coronavirus was for the church. How do we know? Because it shuts off everybody's idols. I can't see my friends. I can't go clubbing. I can't, I can't go sleep with a random woman or a man. I can't, go, I can't do that now. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't idolize this. I can't idolize alcohol. I can't, I can't even go to the shop without having to stand distant. I can't. So God is, why? Because we see it throughout the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, we see that God allows these 10 plagues to humble the people. That's what he said. He said, be still. I know that I am God. Yeah. You know what the most searched word was in April 2020? Prayer. Yeah. Why? Because when God allows the world to come to a standstill, when the world is quiet, God is the loudest. Yeah. So, so when world events happen, it's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. You know, one other, you know, world event is Valentine's Day. You know, I want to share about Valentine's Day four years ago. You know, where, you know, I was just, just focusing on making disciples. Working full time. And at the end of 2019, I was like, oh, I actually wanted to fall away. I'm being honest. I remember one sister in this, in this room, Arisha, called me and she was like, no, 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 no. She shared me scripture in Judges and Judge, uh, Joshua. She was like, no, 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 no. You've got to stay faithful. Be strong and courageous. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And from that moment, I remember I shared with my household. I'm like, okay. Because I felt lonely. I, was, I felt left out because in my house was Luke Snow. North region, now an evangelist has a, her wife and a kid. Paul Basari, who has a wife and also a kid. Also, you had uh, Demeji. Okay, six foot three, good looking guy. Okay, cool, amen. Be humble, he was leading the teams. And Dominic Hurlitzik, straight to the point, very direct. That was my household. So I remember asking them, hey, can I come to, can I come to, can I come to Bible Talk Leaders meeting? They were like, no. So I went home, sad. I was like, I felt left out. I got open to it, I was like, I felt left out. But then the end of 2020, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, they, they said they put their hands on, they, 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 they blessed me, amen? They put their hands on me, amen? <laughs> like, you're not leaving this house, not becoming a leader. And we got nicknamed the name Husband Factory. Wow. It's, it's ironic because, you know, three of them are married, two are engaged, about to get married this year. So it's random, right? The whole household is actually married. So we fulfilled that nickname, right? And so, but what, what, what's the, I'm kind of going off topic, right? But the point is, is that in 2020, I was like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to focus on seeking God with all my heart. No interest. No, no, I'm just going to focus on God. God is my interest. When people ask me my interest, I was like, it's God. It's God. It's God. But of course, remember, world events are kingdom events. So God determines 
that I didn't plan this date, but I got put with, you know, you know, you know, you know, dark skin queen. I was like, okay, I was like, okay, great, she looks great. I'm like, okay, let me get my whole heart. I barely know her, so I'm just gonna get a big, big massive bear because I just work in Hamleys. Right, so I, to get, so I was like, let me get massive bear. I remember on the train, one of the, one of the uh, people on the train were like, man, she must be a lucky girl. And I was like, no, I'm the lucky one. Because four years later, we're engaged. We're about to get married this year, amen? So the world events are kingdom events. Come on! It allowed us to date, and now we're leading the church. Yeah! To become catalysts of change. Leading a group of catalysts of change. Yeah! God had a plan down the line. So when you decide, I'm going to be a catalyst of change, down the line, you're going to be used. No, you're even being used right now. We learned last week, you're being used by God. Or you have, or you've been used by God. Or you can be used by Satan, amen? Amen. It's better to be used by God, amen? But the point is, you count. We all count, amen? amen. And of course, what do we see in the scripture back in, in back chapter, Luke, Luke chapter 2, right? Back in Luke, if you guys are still with me. Right, Luke chapter 2. We know that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because that's where the Messiah was promised, amen? amen. And we know that Jesus had come into existence there, right? And so, let's go to Genesis 49. And I just took you back to Luke chapter 2, but let's just swiftly move to Genesis 49. Remember, catalysts of all nations, amen? amen. Genesis 49. Right? Because what, what, what's all nations about? It's world evangelism. World evangelism didn't even begin in the New Testament. It was always prophesied. How do we know this? Genesis chapter 49. Of course, you had the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 in the north, 2 in the south. Right? In the south, you had Benjamin and Judah. Who came from Benjamin? Okay, okay, there's a few here with me, right? Paul. Who came from Judah? Jesus. Right, because we sing, hail, hail, line of Judah. Amen. Right? And so that's where we get Jesus. Verse 8. It says this in Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. I hope you're praising God. Amen. Come on. Your hand will be on the back of your neck, of your, back of the neck of, their, of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And the church says, So according to the scripture, what does it say? That, that, that this was directed, this was talking about Jesus. Right, Jacob here prophesies about, of course, Judah and, and his offspring. And of course, what is this talking about? Joseph's offspring will be Jesus. Right, and Jesus' offspring will be all the nations. Yeah. Right, and so what, what, what was this highlighting? Jesus is basically calling the obedience of all nations. Jesus came to existence here physically as a child in Luke chapter 2 for the obedience of the nations. Not nation. Nations. Right, and so these little things... These little indicators in the Old Testament wasn't all about the Israelites. It wasn't just about one nation. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus would be for all nations. Yeah. Right? He's an all-nation God. Turn your Bible to Romans 16. Catalysts of all nations. Romans chapter 16. You know, sometimes you read and you're like, of course, that makes sense. But sometimes we don't and we may think it's just for the Jews only. But no, Jesus was for all nations. So we have to be for all nations. Amen. Amen. 
you know, I want, of course, I, I had to reflect. I'm like, okay, when I was writing this, I was like, okay, hey. Do you, because again, how is the church built according to Acts 5? From house to house. So what's that? Bible talks. I was like, okay, cool. So every Bible talk is like a small church. I'm like, okay, cool. So do our Bible talks have all nations? Like, oh, okay, I need, do I have all nations? But then, if not, question is, why wouldn't it have all nations? Because it's a different Jesus. When we don't go after all nations, we may be worshiping a different Jesus. Right? And so, and you, by your actions, show that we're catalysts for change. When you decide to, oh, I'm going for all nations, because I'm going to be, I'm going to be the catalyst for change. I'm going to go after all nations. Right? And so the gospel of Jesus and Jesus coming to the world was for all nations. We live in a time of racial idolatry. Right? where some nations, they say they've had it worse than other nations, right? We don't discredit any nation that's had bad things happen to them, like slavery in America. But the word slave actually comes from the, from the word sla. Sla. The first slas were not black. They were actually white Europeans. So that's where we get the word Slavic from. So we don't discount that. We don't discount the bad things that have happened to the Jewish nation, like the Holocaust. We don't discount that. But we also understand that the Jews and the bad things that happened to them was that the aspect of those nations. We understand that the book of Acts even said that there were Jews from every nation. So not all the Jews were just white. They were just either by belief, just believed that they were a Jew or they got raised as a Jew. But they were Jews from every nation. So the, the time that we're living in, it can float around sometimes in the hearts of even disciples. Right? Where certain nations have had it worse than other nations. When all nations have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all fall short. Jesus came to call obedience to every nation. And it's going to be so awesome when we see what makes true solid disciples the catalyst of change. What, does it, what makes them so awesome? Nobody really cares how white we are, how black we are. Then we say how yellow we are. It's like how fruitful are we? How many baptisms do we have? How many souls are we saving? Jesus wants obedience to of all nations. Remember, catalysts of all nations, amen? amen? So we have to have deep convictions that our Bible talk should be a reflection of all nations. Yeah. That our friendship should be all nations. Yeah. That our church should be all nations. Amen. Like, yeah, there are cultural sins that are more dominant in some, uh, in some cultures, amen? amen? There are Bible scriptures that teach in Titus 1. Paul tells Titus that the Cretans are always lazy, they're evil gluttons, and they talk a lot. They're slanderers. He didn't say the Israelites were that. He didn't say the Egyptians, right, or any other nation. He actually just mentioned that it was just the Cretans, amen? amen. But he highlights that some groups can struggle with certain things other than other nations. Like, for example, some groups don't come, don't come to church on time. Some groups don't clap on time. Some groups just get, just get all emotional all the time. I'm talking to the Asians. Yeah, and the Latinas. <laughs> you know, as disciples in this area, we need to have a critical eye in this area, but not have a critical heart. Certain nations don't have the same struggles. We all have the same struggle. Sin. But certain nations struggle more in certain areas than others, but we need to be able to nail it and help them become disciples. We have to taper our message to really preach the gospel of Jesus to all nations. We have to be catalysts of change. In our contacts, are there all nations? Is our teen's ministry of all nations? 
is our cyber ministry of all nations. Is our campus ministry of all nations. Is our singles ministry of all nations. Are our Bible studies filled with all nations? Are our friendship groups filled with all nations? Who are our closest friends? Are they all nations? You see that because I was like, I was thinking, I was like, man, because as a church, yes, maybe we, we, we can appear to be all nations. But then per Bible talk, because remember, we call them mini churches. Right. But if the mini churches don't, 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 don't highlight all nations, it's like, man, like, what are we actually building? Uh-huh. All nations have their thing, yet we need to have the heart to call obedience to all nations. Romans chapter 16. In verse 25, I will read from the AMP version. It says, now to him he was able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the, the mystery, which has now been kept for secret for ages. But now, so what do we see here? It was a mystery. Now it's made obvious. Verse 26. Now it has been disclosed, and through the scriptures of the prophets, in accordance with the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations. Leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God's dream is always obedience of all nations. Why do we surrender our dreams for all nations? Why do we surrender our dreams for all nations? That there are certain nations that may not be able to, that we're not able to get to unless we give up our dreams. It may take the surrender of our dreams for a nation. So the challenge is simple: to be a catalyst of change. Imagine a church with more anchors. Like imagine, just imagine. Imagine a church more of more more of Sophie's. Now I want to say imagine a church full of canes, but I feel like it would just be too much pride in one place. Just just too much. Just too much. Just imagine, the, uh, the, the, just imagine like uh, the, the church increasing with more callums. Yeah. Imagine, imagine, and just imagine the church increasing with more Paulas, yeah. with more Leslies. Yeah. Just imagine, just imagine, just imagine. Now, this, like, I'll be honest. This is something I prayed for last year. I pray for the Romania church to be sent out from Burma. Yeah. But where does it come from? It just comes from just, let's start with our Bible talks. Let's work with our Bible. Let's see, let's analyze our Bible. Like what, what nations could it have? What could, what could spark something in your Bible talk? Just a new nation. A new nation. Just, just picture it. Like another Marcos. Man. Two GQ models done that. My goodness. Amen. But your Bible talks to church. Your Bible talks to many churches. And ask, does your Bible reflect Matthew 28? Does your Bible talk reflect Matthew 28? And reflect the demographic of Europe? If not, the practical is simple. Let's just go after baptizing of the nations. Amen. How does that sound? Yes. Point number two. Let's go back to chapter two. Catalyst of good news. Catalyst of good news. Luke chapter two. Catalyst of good news. Read from verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She, she, wrapped up, she wrapped him up in cloths and placed him in a manger 
because there was no guest room available for them. So we, of course, what do you remember? They placed them in a manger, amen? And that's where rich people were, right? No. no. He was poor, but yet he was content there. This is God. Jesus, who could have just spawned money out of nowhere, but yet was content with being broke. No car. No car. Yeah, no car. He was wearing, you know, Air Jerusalems, ten toes out. He was poor, but he was content there. Even though there was no room in the barn. So what does this highlight? Be content with what you have. Be content. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped up in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So when Jesus was born, what, 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 what does it highlight? It says that, that, that his, he, him being on earth brought peace. Brought peace. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Like even Jesus' death on the cross brought peace. The kingdom wasn't about physical peace. It was about spiritual peace with God. God wanted to save all nations. Verse 14. Verse 14. What does it say? It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. So the good news is that Jesus has come to bring peace. Has Jesus brought spiritual peace to you? Absolutely. Because the gospel is what? Good news. So we need to be catalysts of good news. Because you always talk about good news, right? When you get a good job. If it's not, then dare we say, if it's not called to go into the ministry, you get a good job and it's a good promotion, you tell people about it. People don't have to ask you, hey, what's your good news? Hey, hey, I got a job. I got promoted. You're excited. You see that? You start dating. You tell people about it. You get a discount. Amen, students. It's good news. You tell people about it. You feel fired up and something's happening in your life. When there's good news, you just tell people about it. Someone in your family studying the Bible, you tell people about it. Someone falls away and comes back, you tell people about it. No one has to ask you. You put it on the group chat, it's good news. How many of us love to go around telling bad news? We don't. So we don't really share the bad news. Yet sadly, the good news for some people is bad news. How do we know? They don't share their faith. They don't talk about God at their school. Because it's bad news. Because people at the school won't like them. They don't talk about the gospel at work. Because they're afraid they'll be fired. They don't talk about the gospel. They won't even get open about their sin and hide it for months. That's how you know. They're like, man, I'm, I'm valuing my good news. I mean, my, my bad news. I'm harboring it in my heart, a.k.a. bitterness. Because, you, you know, Satan, man, like, of course, like, when it comes to the point, it's bitter. Right? What's bitterness? It's, it's, it's drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. We're not sensitive with a snake. We're not sensitive. So, because when, of course, when, 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 first comes the dove, then the devil. 
So when we're sharing good news, Satan may discourage you quick. Satan may come in the form of a snake or, or, or even your ex coming back. Or even a, a job promotion that stops you from being committed to the kingdom. We're not sensitive with snakes, amen? When was the last time you saw a snake and you were sensitive about it? I can't imagine a brother being like, ooh, okay. No, they'll probably be like, ah! I know Jeffrey probably be like, oh. <laughs> but when was the last time you were sensitive with a snake? When was the last time you were sensitive with a wolf? Like, you ever have a newborn baby and there's a wolf? Are you going to be sensitive to the wolf? Sorry, I know there's a baby. Sorry, sorry. No, you're going to annihilate the snake. You're going to take out the wolf. Jesus was not sensitive with a snake. So we're not to be sensitive with snakes. We need to have the same heart. Good news is shared because it's what? Good news. I hope Jesus is still good news for you. Simple question. Have you been proclaiming the good news? Because you can't be too busy to share your faith. Sharing your faith is not a chore. Or there's no such thing as a sharing time. It's a lifestyle. Have you been sharing your faith? Have you been consistent in sharing your faith? Because, yeah, amen, you may have that, that spot, okay, I share my faith. Okay, how about consistent in sharing your faith? Why? It will keep you saved. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, like, chapter 1 rather, it says, make every effort to add to your faith. So how do you add to your faith? You read the Bible and then you share your faith. So if you're not sharing your faith, you're not having good quiet times. Because what faith is there to share? You see that? But if you make every effort to have good, quiet time, share your faith, there'll be no time for impurity. There'll be no time for impurity. There'll be no time for bitterness. There'll be no time to be critical because you're just busy doing the work of the Lord. It'll keep you saved. It'll keep you spiritual. It will. Verse 21. In Luke 2. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child. So we see after eight days you need to do what? Circumcise the child. Amen? What, what does this mean? Sometimes even in us. We need to have circumcision done in our hearts. We just need some things cut, of our, cut out of our heart, cut out of our lives. Verse 21. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise a child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. So what does the Lord say? Leviticus actually says you have to bring a lamb. That's what it actually says. And to accompany your firstborn, you have to actually bring a lamb. Right? In Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1 to 12, if you want to read in your spare time. You've got to bring a lamb. But lambs were expensive. A lamb can feed you. You know, a lamb can feed a whole family for a long time. Right? But when you sacrifice, you have to give up that whole lamb. It's like you have to give up your last meal. But guess what Jesus did? Jesus, look what Jesus' family did for him. What did they sacrifice for him, the savior of the world? Let's see. What kind of lamb? What did they sacrifice? A pair of doves. Young pigeons. So were they saying, oh man, I don't have the right sacrifice to give to God? Were they saying that? No. no. They're like, okay, I only have two doves and uh, okay, that's all, this is all I can give. So what we find here is, if you, if you are poor and you make no sacrifice, you're still in sin. Because they were poor. They were poor. They didn't have the ideal sacrifice. 
but they still gave what they had. Many of you think, I don't have a lamb. I don't have much money. I don't have faith. But Jesus' family didn't have all of these things. They didn't have much. But they they had the pigeons and they still gave. They worked with what they had. They worked with what they had. Complacency exposes entitlement. Like, man, I want more, but what about what you do have? Why not give that to, you only have 500, amen, give that to God. If you only have that one, if you don't have a mustard seed of faith, just, you only need a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. If you only have that little amount of faith, just give it to God. Just give it to God. They still sacrificed. They were still catalysts for good news. Rather than having the mindset that they didn't have much, they gave out of what they had. A lamb was supposed to be sacrificed, but all they give was sacrificed doves. Jesus' family stated, we're not rich, but they were blessed. Mm. You may not be physically rich, but you're blessed. You You may not be spiritually rich, but you are blessed with an opportunity even today. For even those for the first time, studying the Bible, to become spiritually blessed. Jesus' family was poor, but they had God. They had God. They had a relationship with God. Are you satisfied with your relationship with God alone? I tell you the truth. If, you're not, if we're not satisfied with our relationship with God, nothing will ever satisfy you. Nothing. That's why it's, so, it's, it's crazy because even in the book of Genesis, you had Adam. Where was the woman? wasn't there. But then what, what happened? God allowed him to be content with God alone. Then what, what happened? God was like, let me make you a suitable helper. God was like, no, no. He didn't say to God, I need a specific woman. No. She needs to be like, no, no, no. He, he was content with God alone. Then God was like, no, no, no. Let me give you a suitable helper. And I'm grateful he gave suitable helpers because the sisters crank. They made the brothers look good, amen. What does this highlight? No relationship will ever satisfy you. No job. No, 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 no amount of money. Nothing will ever satisfy you. Jesus' family had an incredible amount of riches when it came to their relationship with God. And they showed it by their sacrifice, even though they were poor with two doves. How would you show that you love God? By your sacrifice. By your sacrifice. I'm going to give more time for God. I'm going to spend more time. I'm going to sacrifice more for God. I'm going to sacrifice more of my after, after work, after uni to go share my faith. Because I'm just grateful. Because we share our faith out of gratitude. Gratitude. We may be broke. We, have not, we don't have, you know, money to buy Ubers and so and so. We don't have money to buy meals, take up. But we have something. We have, way, we have something that's priceless. We have salvation. Amen. That is priceless. That's, that is, that's something money cannot buy. But we get to share it. Amen. You have the cure to insecurity. You have the cure to doubt. You have the cure to someone's unhappiness. You have the cure to someone changing their life. You are a catalyst of change. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow, that's, an awesome, that's awesome. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought, the child, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, 
Like, well, we're gonna continue reading, don't, don't worry, we're gonna continue reading, right? But it says, imagine holding a little baby and saying, thank you, that you're the little baby that's gonna save me. Imagine, Simeon saw salvation in verse 29. But he was like, I've got literally salvation in my hand. He was like, I'm so grateful that this baby is gonna save me. You see, because he said the Holy Spirit was gonna allow him to see the Messiah before he died. Imagine holding that little baby like, wow, I'm so grateful. Aren't you going to treat, it with, treat the baby with care? Treating your salvation with care? You're going to protect your salvation at all costs? Not jeopardizing with impurity? Not jeopardizing with lack of quiet times? Not jeopardizing with trying to, you know, just, just, just protecting this, this, your salvation at all costs? Because what he's saying in verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He was like, I'm ready to die. I've got, my salv- I've got salvation right in my hands. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. He was at peace. He said in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Verse 32, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your, of your people Israel. What does this highlight? Jesus is to be the light to the Gentiles and salvation once again to all nations. Simeon, of course, in the scripture, represents preaching to men. But who represents preaching to the women? Verse 36. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She was, not old. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. But the scripture says she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She was was still fasting at 84. She was still worshipping at 84. Because you can see she was a widow for a very long time, amen? Yet she's never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And how fired, are, how fired up are you to be a single? She was single for a long time. But did she leave the temple? She didn't get bitter. She was like, no, no, just because I'm sick. No, 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 I've got God. I've got God. Right? Notice that she isn't bitter or discouraged or disillusioned by men. She's still worshipping. Not just a day, but night. Fasting and praying. You know, I'd be discouraged after 81. I'll probably be discouraged after 51, right? But what do we see here is that she's still going. This is a great scripture to share with singles. Like, man, no matter how, just keep worshiping God. Don't ever leave the temple. Verse 38, it says, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was with him. And the church says, So what do we see in these scriptures? From verse 25 to 35, it highlights that salvation is for all nations. Verse 36 to 40, of course, you have the male prophet that was Simeon, praise the Lord. And of course, you've got um, uh, the female prophetess that was Anna, the daughter. Right? And so what do we see here? This represents all of humanity. You've got men and you've got women. Right? And so when Jesus came onto earth, he was representing salvation, not only for all nations, but all humanity. For all men and for all women. Over and over and over and over again, for Luke, it's all about world evangelism. He's consistently putting it in there. 
right? Why? Jews, Gentiles, for all men, for all women. We need to understand how important this is because we're, all going to, we're always going to be talking about all nations. We're always going to be talking about world evangelism. Sometimes we can get disillusioned. We can think that people are always talking about all nations and evangelism. But the Bible is about world evangelism. You go all the way back to Genesis, world evangelism. You get to Romans, world evangelism. It's all the same thing. The beginning of Luke, all the guys are going to be saved, all the women are going to be saved, prophet for the men, prophet for the women, or prophetess for the women, all genders, it's all about world evangelism. The message is the same. Even though visiting for the first time, we see that the Bible says that it's all about world evangelism. A lot of people don't think that Christianity is about world evangelism, or it's just, it's just a community. No, it's not, it's world evangelism, right? That, of course, they believe that in a Jesus came and died on the cross and that was it. Right, so people when they think, okay, we're in church just to stay here. We're in church just to, just to go to my community church when I've sinned or I go to sin on a Friday, come to church to repent on a Sunday and give my life to Christ every Sunday. No, it's not that. Jesus didn't just come to earth and just die. He came to resurrect, right? He died for your sin, but he also rose. It's all about the cross, not just about dying. It's also about him resurrecting. But the resurrected life means how he's commissioned us to do some stuff. Simeon held Jesus and was ready to die. He was satisfied with salvation alone. Verse 29, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's ready to go in peace. He said, I'm ready to die. I can die peacefully now. Right? Would you be able to say the same, say the same about your life? Would you like, okay, I'm ready to die in peace. Would you, would you really be able to say that? Would you really be able to say that? Have we done enough? Have we been a catalyst of good news? Verse 39 to 40 says, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and their child grew and became strong, and he was filled with the wisdom and the grace of God was with him. Question is, will you live to see all nations evangelized so you can say, say, like Simeon, what he says in verse 30 to 31? Will you be able to see that day? Can you picture that day? Are you even envisioning that day where all nations are evangelized? Are we going to see all nations evangelized so then we can die in peace? What are our lives going to be about? Will it be about world evangelism? Proclaiming the gospel to all nations? What will be said about you? You may be a great, you could be a great scientist, a great artist, a great writer, or are you part of something that changed the world for their generation that's never been done since the beginning of time? That's something that I want to be a part of. Question is, what about you? That's the ministry that Jesus initiated. We are the catalyst of change. We don't get a sense that there's a lot of people struggling with their career, their jobs, or wondering about the call of God in the Bible. It's pretty clear. I believe it's because we've allowed Satan to come into our minds and give us a dream that's not God's dream. And some of us really believe in using our best talents, our wisdom, and mind that God gave us to build our own kingdom, not God's. Proclaiming the gospel to all men and all women and all nations. That's the goal. That's what my life is about. That's what our life should be about. That is what, that, 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 it should be about proclaiming the word of God with our life. The good news. What nation are you going to go to? What city are you going to go to? Who will be saved because you killed your dream for God's dream? Who will cry because you came for them? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, that's why I, I, I kid you not, me and Elijah have really gotten close. Really got close because he's like, thank you for not giving up on me. On. You know, he was supposed to get baptized today. On, but then he was like, thank you for stopping me. Wow. He was like, thank you for stopping it. He was like, I felt there was something still in my heart that I hadn't dealt with yet. Mm. He was like, thank you. Come on, thank you. Come 
That, that's a sold out disciple and he's still here. This is what it's all about. So the challenge is simple. To be a catalyst of good news, ask, is everything you're doing being a catalyst of good news? The Bible teaches watch your life and your doctrine. We can watch our doctrine. We, we can, we'll learn the first principles of men. We'll watch our we'll doctrine. But how about our life? Does our life signify that we're a catalyst of good news? Does it highlight that? As the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, it's a certain example in speech. Is everything you're saying edifying? Is everything you're saying proclaiming the good news? Is it, is it, is it really proclaiming the good news? Purity, as the scripture says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Is everything in our hearts been pure? Has everything, our motive, because there's three types of impurity. There's visual impurity, there's audiovisual impurity, and there's bitterness of the heart. So if you've had bitterness in your heart, if you've been, like, for example, like, has there been a slander in our hearts and a lack of openness? Has there been? Because that's not proclaiming the good news. We're not catalysts of good news that way. Because we see, what, it's biblical to call out sin. Why? We see it with Achan. Yeah. With Achan. When sin was found out, it was called out publicly. It's biblical to call out sin. And so, are we proclaiming the good news? Or are we proclaiming bitterness? Mm. What, are we, what are we do in the kingdom of God? Are, are we proclaiming, are we being catalysts of good news? Mm. Let's go after setting an example in these areas in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. What we, what we, because what we teach feeds into who we teach. So if you have bitterness and resentment in, in, in your heart, all you're going to do is transfer it to them. If, you have, if you're not going after all nations, all you're going to do is just transfer it to them. Literally, that's what it is because you're making a disciple. Remember, disciple makes a disciple. If there's something in your heart, you're actually just reproducing another you. If you have resentment or hatred, you're actually just producing the same person as you. In closing, let's be catalysts of all nations. Let's be catalysts of good news. Believe you have the cure. Believe you have the cure to change the world. Catalysts, they're not affected themselves, but they affect change. They enter a room and, and then they say they preach faith into a faithful situation. They preach doubt out, out of a faithful situation. They preach, they, preach, they preach insecurity out of silence in a room. They, they know they've been sent by God. The Bible says in Romans 10 verse 17, how can someone believe if they, if they, have, they don't have someone to preach to them? And how can they preach unless they're what? Sent. Do you believe you're sent? Once you believe you're sent, you have different, you have different level of confidence. Like, I'm sent. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 12, we are the signs. We are the signposts pointing people towards God. Not pointing people to us. They're not, idol, they're not idolizing the church, not idolizing the leader, not idolizing how, how loud or how clappy or whatever the case may be, however the church is. We're pointing people to God. Why? Because to be catalysts of change, we have to be catalysts of all nations. We have to be catalysts of good news. And that way we'll be catalysts of change. I love you and to God be all the glory.